Come in, my friend. Do not be afraid. Pull up a chair and have something hot to drink. There we are. I must say you are a brave soul to have made it so far into the mountains in a storm like that. I live alone. Well, mostly alone in this castle. There are others here besides me, but oh, they are not what you might expect. <laughs> ah, do you hear that? The clock chimes. Midnight. The hour when the ones who creep in shadow are free to work their wiles upon the hearts of man. You know of whom I speak. The monster under the bed, the ghost in the attic, the imp who steals socks from the drying machine. Well, this is their time. Do I see them? Oh, but of course. I know many stories about the Darklings. Perhaps you would like to hear one. Now, now be forewarned. These tales are not for the faint of heart. No one knows what may happen when you open the Book of the Dark Rose. Ha 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 ha. Oh, excuse me. <coughs> Dark Rose. Episode 1. I must offer my apologies for that laughter. Just a chilling little habit of mine. You were interested in my stories, you said? Well then, I keep the book in my private library down in the basement. Uh, come, follow me. You are fortunate to have come tonight. Just yesterday, I was down to the village. You would have found this castle quite devoid of human life. What else you might have found? Well, I'll just leave that up to your imagination. Oh, just down this hallway. There are entities in this castle that I can control, and many that I cannot. But we have come to a kind of mutual agreement. I do not invade their space, and they do not bother me. So, we live in harmony. That look on your face. You do not believe me? Well, perhaps you will before the night is out. Ah, here we are. This door leads to the basement. <coughs> Follow me closely. It is dark down here. You would not want to miss your footing. Now, to find that book. I think I left it... Ah, here we are. <coughs> the Book of Castle Dark Rose. These are short tales I have endeavored to write about the workings of the otherworldly beings we share space with. Ah, good. Here is one you may find interesting. It is about the basements. And rain. Dark Rose. Episode 1. Gerald Beaven had a love-hate relationship with rain. He hated the mud. The filth dredged up into a gritty, sopping goop by the falling water. He hated coming in from his morning trip to the mailbox, ubiquitous coffee cup in hand with a paper in a soaked plastic bag, leaving soggy trails on his hardwood floors. He hated the inconvenience of rain, the poor road conditions, the flooding, the damage done to trees and yards by the downpouring droplets. He hated the effects, but my, the ambiance was something. As much as he found he detested the cold, sopping wet of a spring storm, 
he would often find himself standing in front of his wide front window, sipping strong black decaf and tracing patterns in the raindrops that trickled down the glass panes, smiling at the whirling waves kicked up by the wheels of the cars that sped by on the street outside. The rhythmic spattering of drops on his roof became a sweet, soothing serenade as he slept. And boy, did he sleep. It was strange. No matter how he tried, he could not wake up on time if it was raining, even in the slightest. Perhaps it was his brain, responding to the light filtering through his eyelids. He often noted that he had a great deal of difficulty determining the time of day when it rained. He would look at the clock on the wall above his desk at the firm, thinking it was about time for lunch, and realize that it was four o'clock, almost quitting time. That may have been the hardest thing to reckon with on rainy days. That feeling of being caught in one moment in time as the rest of the world rushed by, like the falling drops that hung suspended outside the window for a scant second before they vanished past the sill and into the wet ground. It was Saturday. It was raining fit to drown a horse, provided that horse would stand still long enough, and Gerald Beaven had the day off. At 5.30 in the afternoon, he was doing, in a rudimentary sense, what he had done for the rest of that dreary day. He read Newsweek, Money Magazine, some National Geographic just to add a taste of Exotica, although it seemed the intrepid explorers at the good old NG had been slowly giving up on the dramatic stories on the last elephants of Kenya or the mysterious ancient Amazonians, and were turning towards fascinating tales about artificial hearts and oil spills. Life is depressing enough, Gerald thought, watching the rain pool in the pothole at the far side of the road from his house, without having to read about starvation in Mexico and Nairobi. He took a final pull at his first drink of the evening, a straight scotch. It was a hard drink, and some would think it a suggestive tradition for a single man of 42, but he was no alcoholic. To allow himself the luxury of burying whatever pain he had in a bottle would only be a betrayal, a betrayal of his own personal morals. Besides, what did he have to get alcoholic about? He was in relatively great shape for a man his age. He had no unsettled debts. He was well off. Not perhaps as rich as some of the big-time lawyers at the firm, like Swanson or Birch, but he was careful with his money and shrewd in his investments, and it had paid off, in the shape of a sizable house in the Pennsylvania countryside, a nice car, not an expensive import or anything, but at least something to turn heads, and a large TV, not ostentatious big enough. Everything in tasteful moderation. That was Gerald's watchword. He sank into an easy chair, allowing the scotch to settle on the hastily grilled steak and potatoes that rested comfortably in his stomach. Outside, the sun was setting behind the western horizon, only you couldn't tell behind the heavy blanket of rain clouds that stretched as far as the eye could see in every direction. To Gerald's chagrin, this billowing cover decided to open the floodgates for one last dramatic show of heavenly power before giving up the skies to the fair Easter weather promised by the weathermen on the morning news. A low roll of thunder pealed somewhere to the north, not surprisingly. It had been two days since the non-stop rain had begun. Gerald's power had gone off and on three separate times due to thunderstorms during that time. Tonight would be nothing short of interesting, Gerald knew. The storm was set to blow right through his area. Thinking ahead, he had already set out candles in each room and ran out to buy up a fresh supply of batteries for his flashlights. So, thusly prepared, he sat there in the growing darkness, empty scotch glass in hand, waiting for the storm. The first clearly visible bolt of lightning cracked outside his window and he, 
despite his preparedness, felt his heart skip a beat as the thundering crash rocked the glass in his house. For a brief minute, the darkening world was lit like day, and the drops of rain that hung outside his windows were burned into his eyes for the briefest moment before the darkness returned. He smiled. Like the rain, he both detested and loved the awesome power of lightning and thunder. Another bolt split the sky, and for one startled moment, he thought he caught a glimpse of someone standing in his front yard, a figure dressed in some kind of white garment that writhed in the whipping wind and violent rain. He started again. His heart, still jumpy from the surprise of the first thunderbolt, went through yet another series of mild convulsions before settling back to a steady beat. Lub-dub. Lub-dub. He slowly rose from his chair, grasping the flashlight he had set upon his side table in a shaking hand. He steadied himself before walking to the door and stepping out into the small front porch. The rain fell in a veritable waterfall from the shingled awning overhead, and the deck was soaked, regardless of the cover. Hello? he called, probing at the darkness with the flashlight's powerful beam. Another bolt of lightning lit the yard, but he saw nothing. Probably just a trick of the light, he thought. Something inside the house reflecting in the window glass. Shaking his graying head, he stepped back into the open door, closing it behind himself and turning the latch, just to be safe. The rubber soles of his sneakers were dripping wet from the water on the porch, so he stood there on the welcome mat to unlace them and carefully placed them on the towel he kept folded next to the door for this purpose. Wiping the moisture from his hands on the calves of his jeans, he stepped back to his chair in his thick white socks and placed the inactive flashlight back on the table. His hands were still shaking from fright, and he determined another stiff drink was in order. He started for the kitchen, but something abruptly stopped him. He looked down at the floor in shock as a feeling of cold moisture began to seep through the soles of his socks. There, clear as day, was a trail of wet footprints going right through the center of the room. For a moment, he rebuked himself internally, sure he had forgotten to remove his wet shoes before entering the house. But no, he thought, turning towards the door. There his shoes sat on the towel right next to the rubber boots he had worn on his battery run. He hadn't come any further than the doormat. Looking down again, he examined the footprints and found, with his heart leaping into his throat, that the wet feet had left a telltale trail and were completely bare. Gerald's hands were shaking again. Taking care not to tread in the water, he slowly began to follow the prints as they wound across his living room floor and into the sparsely decorated dining room. The footprints passed disinterestedly through the room, and into the dark kitchen. Gerald paused for a moment to fumble blindly for the light switch. If there was something in his house, however unlikely, he would like to see it. He continued to follow the trail as it skirted his butcher's block, its polished paneling glowing faintly in the soft light, around the refrigerator, and towards, God help him, the basement door. If there was one room in this house that still awoke the faintest sense of natural fear in Gerald, it was that basement. Ever since childhood, Gerald had been afraid of basements, and he could never for the life of him understand why. There was just something chilling about that descent from the warmth and security of the upstairs into that cold, narrow stairwell leading into the darkness. He was ashamed to admit, but he still found himself standing in the cusp of the stairwell, reaching around the corner to find that little plastic switch, straining to turn on the lights, 
before some grizzled hand caught his throat and dragged him into the darkness. He should count his blessings, he supposed. Before the realty company from whom he bought the house renovated the whole thing, the cement-lined basement had been little more than a root cellar, with dirt floors and dark, earthy walls. Cold, dark, damp. A festering playground for as many dark flights of the imagination as Gerald could think of, and many he could not. With this chilling image in mind, Gerald could not help think of the reason the realtor had let him have this house so cheap. The man and woman who had owned the house previously to Gerald, over fifteen years ago according to the realtor's records, were a young couple just out of college. They lived in the house for only one year. Things grew hazy after that, but most people believed that it was about this time that both the man and woman disappeared. But not for long. The man was found a few days after the fact, drunk in a ditch with dirt all over his half-naked body. But the woman was never found again. Of course, the police dug up much of the cellar, but no body was ever found. The man admitted to killing his wife, but never said where he buried the body. No, Gerald said aloud. Don't think about that. It's nothing. Just some animal that got in the house. His own voice, spoken aloud, sounded strange and out of place. Another clap of thunder sounded, and the light in the kitchen flickered menacingly before returning to its normal state. Gerald froze as the light waxed and waned, resuming his course down the stairs only after he was sure he would have light enough to proceed to the bottom. As he snapped on the lights and stepped down into the cold of the basement, the tracks left by the soggy invader were even more clearly visible. He could see where they led, almost at once, straight to the right, the laundry room. He had never actually used the room set aside for the specific purpose of washing clothes. He had very few clothes, and it was simply less desirable to spend more than a few minutes at a time in the basement than it was to drive two miles to the local laundromat. It was a small room, no more than 13 feet square, with four wall-length shelves at one end and an outdated washer and dryer at the other. Other than this, the only defining feature of the room was a four-inch wide drainage grating in the floor against the far wall from the door. Incidentally, it was to this that the footprints were leading. He stepped across the room, his breath short, his heart almost beating out of his mouth. There was something in the room, something he didn't like in the slightest. Almost a weight in the air. Lightning flashed in the small window high on the wall as he approached the drainage hole. He was surprised as he neared the hole, although he shouldn't have been, to see a puddle of water gathering around it. This was quite likely with all the precipitation over the last two days, but at the same time it worried him, mostly because the wet footprints led straight to the puddle and vanished. As he debated this in his head, there was another crack of thunder, this one near enough to shake the windows as, as the first had, and Gerald physically jumped. His nerves were shot to pieces, and he stumbled back against the door to the laundry room, inadvertently slamming it shut. He fumbled with the knob, but found, to his absolute horror, that it was inexplicably jammed. It would not turn. No, it did turn, but not without a good deal of force. Even then, if he slackened his grip ever so slightly, the knob would snap back into place, almost as if he hardly dared think it. Someone was holding the knob on the other side. A bubbling noise caused him to turn. Water was rushing into the room from the grate and spreading rapidly across the floor. Gerald continued to rattle the knob, but it was still no use. God, he cried, what's going on? He then saw something 
that made a cold shiver run up and down his spine. Mingled with the murky water that was pouring steadily into the room, his ankles were already submerged, was another liquid. It was thick, bright, and red. He turned back towards the door, screaming, Let me out! Please, God, let me out! The sloshing of something moving in the water a few feet behind him silenced him. He turned back into the room for the third time. For the briefest instant, his face shone, a mask of horror frozen by a blast of lightning before the power line somewhere burst under the power of the heaven's electrical outburst, flooding the whole street in darkness. Gerald's only impression before the darkness was the black circles under her eyes, the eyes probing from beneath the black strands of wet hair. That was the last thing before the darkness. After the darkness, there was nothing. That was Rain on the Roof, and this is John Newman, the writer and performer of the Dark Rose Fiction Podcast. Um, that story was inspired basically by the kind of torrential downpour we had in Pennsylvania over the weekend. Well, I guess more like over the last two weeks, it's just been ridiculous. Um, most of it is based on myself, my own slight fear of basements. Uh, I have to say, the story was made creepier by the fact that I'm alone recording it in the basement with the laundry room a mere 20 feet away. The house is, in fact, based on my house almost exactly, so you can imagine where my imagination's been wandering to. Um, I wouldn't call that my best story. But it was pretty creepy, and I suppose it served its purpose. I think my voice sounds goofy when I'm recording it, but that's just me. I guess it's up to you to decide. <clears throat> so, um, right back. I'd love to hear what you guys think about uh, the story, the intro, anything. My email address is fishy27 at hotmail.com. That's F-I-S-H-Y at hotmail, or, <laughs> excuse me. F-I-S-H-Y-2-7 at Hotmail.com. I don't want my my emails being sent to just plain fishy. And uh, you can also check out the blog at www.darkrosefiction, all one word, dot blogspot.com. The sound effects I used, including that kind of ear-wrenching, creepy music riff, uh, were taken from ilovewabs.com and pacdv.com. Uh, you can go there for lots of great sound effects for whatever you need. Um, also, these stories are completely made up and not related to anyone, so if you have a relative who mysteriously drowned in their laundry room, well, this wasn't him. Uh, anyway... Tune in next week for Man Eater, right here on Dark Rose Fiction Podcast. This is John Newman signing off. <laughs> ah, I had to do it one more time. I couldn't resist. <laughs> See you next week.